Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Uh, nothing wrong with being online, but I like being in person too. Come on, let's say loud and proud. This is my Bible. It is God's word written to me. I am who it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. So I receive it as truth for today and open my heart to hear God speak a word that will change my life forever. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the goals of a demon is to enslave people to sin. But one of the goals of Jesus is to set people free. Amen? As a matter of fact, one of the things that Jesus said, and, and let's see if you've heard this before, the Son set free is free in Indeed, right? Now, that phrase from Jesus was a longer dialogue that he had with some people who claimed to believe in him. And I want us to just look at that exchange in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. I'm reading out of the Noon Living Translation. I'm going to use this as a springboard for our series and for our topic today. John 8, 31 through 36, Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings. Now, let me just clarify a couple of things. I want to pause before I go any further to make sure we're all on the same page. Every disciple is a believer. But not every believer is a disciple. This word disciple that Jesus is using is a very specific word for people that identified with him. The word disciple in English comes from the Greek word mathetes, M-A-T-H-E-T-E-S. Do you recognize? the first part of that Greek word, math-e-tes. M-A-T-H is the root of that word. And that's where we get mathematics. Now, mathetes comes from manthano, which means to learn. So a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice. It's one who follows one's teaching, and manner of living. Disciple. And it also can be said of this person that he has put thought and a willingness to do that which he's thinking on. So there is a, a thought process accompanied with an endeavor. So it's not just in the head, it finds its way out into life. So Jesus said to those people who believed in him, you're truly my 
disciples, my followers, my imitators, if you remain faithful to my teachings. If my teachings find their way into your life, style, you're my disciples. Then he goes on in verse 32 and he says, and because of that, you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. How many of you heard that before? The truth will make you free. Or even said it. We've said it. We've heard it. I mean, it's popular, right? The truth will set you free. But that's not exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, you'll know the truth if you abide in my teachings. And the truth that you know personally, intimately, like experientially, that truth will make you free. Then he goes on and he says this. Um, he's engaging with a conversation. But we're descendants of Abraham. These were Jewish people who believed in him. We came from Abraham, they said. We've never been slaves to anyone. Jesus is talking about freedom. And they said, we've never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean you will be set free? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave of sin. Pause. He doesn't mean just because you and I sin on occasion, we messed up on the way to church, you know, we, we slipped an F-bomb or whatever. That's not what he means. What he means is everyone who engages in repeated sinful living, a sinful lifestyle. He's saying everyone who does that is certainly indeed a slave of sin. And then he says, a slave is not a permanent member of the family, but a son is a part of the family forever. He's saying, listen, if you're a slave to sin, you may not even really be in the family like you think you're in the family. So, if the son sets you free, you are truly free. Now, in this context, it's very, very important that we understand that Jesus is talking about being free from enslavery or bondage to sin. It's not just coming to grips with the truth. It's not just, you know, facing the cold, hard facts in life. You know, you'll know the truth and it'll set you free. Come on, just face it and you'll get on with your life and things will be better. It'll kite and lighten your load. That's how we use it most of the time. Or the people outside of the faith use it most of the time. But that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking about, it's very possible to say you believe in Jesus, but you're still bound and enslaved to sin. And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Uh, if you believe in me and you're a disciple, I've come to set you free. Now, the word freedom is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved to something. And in this context, it specifically means to be free from the dominating power of sin and the dominating power of the kingdom of darkness. What's the opposite of freedom? He mentions it, bondage. Bondage is to be enslaved, to serve or to be in service, listen, involuntarily or voluntarily to sin and the power of it. This is very, very important. It's applicable, even for Christians. So we're starting this new series across all three of our campuses, and we're simply calling it Finding Freedom. 
finding freedom. It is possible for a person to be in bondage and not know it. And it is possible to love God and even be a Christian and yet still be in bondage. Now, don't think about anybody, but it is possible, isn't it? So the title of today's sermon, according to our notes here, is Outside Interference. Would you say that with me, church? Come on. Outside interference. Not knowing and not walking in God's truth and God's power is a tool that the devil will use to bring outside interference and keep people from living in the freedom that Jesus paid for them to live in. Oh, Pastor Robert, really? Demons, the devil, bondage. I mean, isn't just some of this stuff a personal choice that people make? Well, maybe. But lots of people want to be free from stuff, and no matter how hard they try, they can't get free. So we got to ask ourselves... Is it possible that there's some outside interference going on that I'm not aware of? For example, just the example, I'm not talking about you or anybody in here. It's just an example. There's some people that are in bondage to stuff like smoking. I mean, I'm just being honest. They want to quit. They've tried to quit. They tried the patch. They tried this. They tried that. They want it, but they're in bondage. They're stuck. They're enslaved to nicotine. Pastor Robert, what are you saying? Are you saying if I smoke, I'm not going to heaven? No, no, no. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying that people who smoke, and they're Christians, they might get there before me. Because smoking's bad for you. Everybody knows that, right? It is possible that some people, nobody in here, are in bondage at looking at stuff that's unclean or unholy, that's morally impure. It's possible some people are in bondage to drinking. Pastor Robert, come on, it takes the edge off. I, I get it, but Jesus wants to take the edge off. Not those kind of spirits. The Holy Spirit, amen? I mean, I'm not trying to... I'm not trying to bring condemnation. I just know, you know, I'm a busy mom. I work hard. I got kids. I have a career. I need to come home and just, you know, take the edge off. And then it's one, it's two, and it's three. And then before you know it, we get into the tipsy arena. And then before you know it, we could be drunk. And then before you know it, this is a pattern that's developed. And they're in bondage. Some people could be in bondage. A Christian could be in bondage to drugs. There's a compulsion, there's a need to want to feel or get high. And so we got this outside interference that's hindering our freedom in Christ. It's possible for some people to be in bondage to cutting themselves because they've got this internal pain going on and this is a way of relieving that pain. Maybe some people have mental anguish going on and they can't get free on the inside. These are just some examples 
I mean, you guys can come up with other ones. There's plenty, I'm sure, that I didn't mention. But the point I'm trying to make here is that it's very possible for a Christian to be in bondage and to be experiencing some outside interference. Obviously, the flesh is involved, but it's very possible that there could be some demon interference going on. I want us to take a minute, and I'm going to have us to watch a two-minute, 20-second cartoon video about Jesus who meets up with a man who had demons. And then after Jesus meets up with him, Jesus deals with the demons and he sets the man free. Let's watch that video clip. Jesus and his disciples sailed across Lake Galilee and came to shore near the town of Gerasa. As Jesus was getting out of the boat, he was met by a man from that town. The man had demons in him. He had gone naked for a long time and no longer lived in a house, but in the graveyard. The man saw Jesus and screamed. He knelt down in front of him and shouted, Jesus, son of God in heaven, what do you want with me? I beg you not to torture me. He said this because Jesus had already told the evil spirit to go out of him. The man had often been attacked by the demon, and even though he had been bound with chains and leg irons and kept under guard, he smashed whatever bound him. Then the demon would force him out into lonely places. Jesus asked the man, What is your name? He answered, My name is Lots. He said this because there were lots of demons in him. They begged Jesus not to send them to the deep pit where they would be punished. <clears throat> A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, so the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and Jesus let them go. Then the <clears throat> demons left the man and went into the pigs. The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the men taking care of the pigs saw this, they ran to spread the news in the town and on the farms. The people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they also found the man. The demons had gone out of him. And he was sitting there at the feet of Jesus. He had clothes on and was in his right mind. But the people were terrified. Then all who had seen the man healed told about it. Everyone from around Gerasa begged Jesus to leave because they were so frightened. When Jesus got into the boat to start back, the man who had been healed begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him off and said, Go back home and tell everyone how much God has done for you. The man then went all over town, telling everything that Jesus had done for him. Somebody say amen. Kids, I want you to remember that Jesus is bigger than demons. Jesus is bigger than monsters. Amen. Jesus is king. And demons don't have anything on Jesus. So we don't have to be afraid of monsters or demons. Now, adults, I do want to point out a couple of key scriptures in Mark chapter 5 real quick. If you've got your Bible, I just want to point out a couple of them and emphasize a couple of things. Mark 5, 2 and 3, it says this. And when he had come out of the boat, speaking of Jesus, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. That's referring to a demonic spirit or an evil spirit. When he saw Jesus from afar, the man, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and he worshipped him. It doesn't mean he sang songs to him. It means he bowed himself down in reverence and in honor. 
This is interesting. Verse 7. And he, the demon, not the man. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What do I have to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. That's the demon speaking through the man. For Jesus had already said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. So the, the demon recognized Jesus as Lord. The Jesus, the Jesus that he recognized knew that he could cast him out and deal with him. Notice verse 15 after Jesus casts out these demons into the pig. I love this. Then all the people came to Jesus and they saw the one who had been demon possessed. There's the word. Demon possessed and had the legion. The legion or lots, legion is a word that means an army could be as, as strong as 6,000 men strong and very, very organized. So he had a lot of demons. Notice this. The man was now sitting and clothed and in his right mind. What an encounter this guy had with Jesus and it set him free. So I just want to point out three things real quickly for the rest of our time together. If we want to experience freedom in Christ, first we must know and believe. Here's your number one. Fill in the blank or you can circle it in your guide. Demons are real. Demons are real. One of the greatest tactics I think that demons will use is to get people to underestimate their power, and their reality. Demons are real. A person can't get free from a demon if they don't know and believe that demons are real. Isn't that true? As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, especially in the New King James Version, demons are referenced 82 times. 61 of those times in the Gospels from Jesus. And Jesus confronted demons, and Jesus confronted uh, demon possession, and Jesus confronted human bondage. And the heart of God every single time is for people to be free from this kind of outside interference. Let me just share a couple of scriptures. They're in your notes. Matthew 8, 16 says this. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. Matthew 9, 32 and 33. When they left, a demon-possessed man who couldn't speak was brought to Jesus. So Jesus cast out the demon, and then the man began to speak. The crowds were amazed. Nothing like this has ever happened in Israel, they exclaimed. I don't think up until that point, anybody had the power or the spiritual understanding or revelation to deal with the root cause of people's bondage. Jesus knew they were demon-possessed. Jesus knew that a lot of people were being harassed and oppressed by evil, wicked, demon spirits. Notice how some sickness and people's inability to speak was caused by demons. When Jesus dealt with the spirit, people were free and they were able to talk or they were free and they were able to be healthy. Matthew 17, 18. Then Jesus rebuked the demon he took authority over the demon. He dealt with the demon in the boy, and it left him. Now, let me pause. This is a boy, not even an adult, 
Somehow or another, a demon found entry into this little boy. And it caused great problems in his life and in his family. Jesus dealt with the demon. And from that moment forward, the Bible says, the boy was made well. C.S. Lewis, Christian author, he said two groups of people are the ones demons like to take advantage of. Group number one are the people that are skeptics. Skeptics say, well, Jesus, I mean, demons aren't real. Uh, demons don't really exist. They, they doubt their existence. Now, demons love to take advantage of a skeptic. The other group of people that demons like to take advantage of is the superstitious. I don't know if you know any of those people, but these are people who think that there's a demon behind everything. Uh, there's a demon behind every door and, any, and under every rock. You know, if your toast burns, you know, the toaster's demon-possessed, you know. Just weird. They're always looking for something to blame on demons. But we need to find the middle of the road. We need to understand something as Christians. Definitely, we need to understand that there are demons. And we shouldn't be blind to the presence and reality of demons. But more importantly, we must not underestimate the freedom available through the finished work of the cross and the victory that Jesus has over demons. I just want to mention six things that we should know about demons. There's a bunch, but just six real quick. They're not in your notes, but I thought I'd mention these. Demons are powerful. In the story that we read, the man was breaking off his chains. He was breaking off his shackles. People couldn't restrain him. There was a supernatural strength that all of these demons brought to this person's life. Demons also are very deceptive. They're very cunning. Demons are very filthy. They're morally filthy. They're impure. I think demons like filthy atmospheres. That's just my personal opinion. I think demons are organized. In Ephesians chapter 6 it says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And there's ranks of demons. They like have this demonic military uh, rank and field. They're organized. Demons oppose everything God, and demons seek to advance the power of Satan in the earth. So demons are real. So the very first thing we need to understand if we want to avoid outside interference and if we want to experience freedom in Christ to the full, we need to come to the grips that demons are real. Next, demons really do enter people. Enter being the key word. Demons really do enter people. John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about himself as the good shepherd. He talks about himself as the door and the entryway into the sheepfold. And I just want to read that and verse 10. John 10, 1, Jesus is speaking. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall, or we could say anyone who enters the sheepfold. What's the sheepfold? The sheepfold are where the sheep are kept. Now, Jesus is using this as an example, but he's not really talking about sheep. He's talking about people. He's talking about his followers. And then he says this, rather than going through the gate or the door, that's him, Jesus is the door, must surely be, notice, a thief and a robber. So Jesus is saying, if someone else besides me enters into the sheepfold, Rather than going through me, 
they're a thief and a robber. Contextually, Jesus is speaking about false teachers. But the spirit behind false teachers is evil. It's not from God. Look at verse 10, John 10, 10. All of us have heard this verse. The thief's purpose. Somebody say purpose, right? This is his goal, right? Objective, his aim. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, Jesus said, is to give them a rich and satisfying, and I might add, free life. He's speaking about his followers, okay? So it's important for us to recognize Jesus is saying that someone who's influenced by evil, by demons, by Satan, by the kingdom of darkness, can enter in to the sheepfold. That's the church, and that's even a Christian's life. It's very possible for a demonic entity or influence or oppression or harassment from a demon to enter into the life of a church or the life of a Christian. Now, this word demon possessed, it's an interesting Greek word. I'm going to try to pronounce it without chopping it up. Daimon, daimon, idzomai. Daimon, D-A-I-M-O-N. That's where we get the English word demon. Do you hear it? Daimonizomai, daimonizomai, or demon-possessed, literally or simply means to be under the control or power of a demon. Now, possessed here doesn't only suggest ownership, but mastery or control. A Christian cannot be possessed or owned by a demon. Did you hear me? Because Christians are possessed or owned by God. Amen? And the Holy Spirit of God lives in the Christian. So a Christian cannot be possessed ownership by a demon. But let me ask you this. Can a demon break into, find entryway into a Christian's life and interfere with a Christian's freedom? That's true. Let me just give you an example. This is very, very uh, simple, but I think it will make the point. Let's say you're getting up early, you're going to go out to work, and you're moving towards your car to start your car. And you notice from a distance that there's a thief in your car trying to hotwire your car so that he could steal it. Now, does the thief own your car? No. No. But is the thief in your car? Yes. How did he get in? He found a way of weakness into your car. Maybe you left the window halfway down. Maybe you didn't lock it like you thought you did. Maybe he had a special tool to jimmy the lock. The point is, the thief doesn't own the car, but the thief broke into the car and he found entryway into the car. And it's very, very possible a Christian can leave an entryway into one's life and the enemy can come in and what does he do? Steal, 
kill, and destroy. Whose responsibility is it to lock the car? To roll up the window. To make sure the alarm is set. Ephesians 4.27, notice in the Amplified Classic Edition, it says this. Talking to Christians, leave no such room or foothold for the devil. Give no opportunity to him. Now, the devil isn't going around everywhere by himself. He's got demons. He's got armies. He's got rank and file. And the devil is looking to advance his agenda in the earth through people's life and to oppose God. And he uses demons. But we are, as the people of God, supposed to do everything we can. So we give no foothold. We give no entryway. We don't leave the window halfway down. Amen. We lock in the door. We're setting the alarm. Now, what I'm going to share here is really, really important. So if you haven't paid attention thus far, tune in with me, okay? It's important to realize that we have freedom from demons as long as we live in Christ's victory over them. Disobedience and persistent waywardness provide the enemy grounds from which he can attack and influence or blind up a Christian. So a Christian who continues to dabble in this sin, he knows it's sin, he knows it's wayward, he knows it's harmful, but he continues. This person is creating an entryway for demons to come in and to attack, to interfere, to bind up, to oppress. Demons really do enter people's lives. But Jesus wants us to be free. Amen? I don't know about you, uh, but I was under the impression, oppression for, for many, many years when it comes to demons. I, I'm embarrassed to say everything that I did and the way that I lived. But it wasn't, it wasn't natural. It was ungodly. It was supernatural. For many years, demons influenced me, harassed me. Might I even say, controlled me or certain parts of my life. And as much as I wanted to be free of things, I just couldn't get free. Even after I said yes to be a follower of Jesus. I want to remind you, Jesus said, Listen, if you believe in me, abide in my teachings. Allow my word to find its place in your everyday living. Then you'll be one of my disciples. Then you'll know the truth experientially. And that truth will make you free. And he's referring to freedom from bondage. Listen, you might know somebody who's got a lot of outside interference. You might be struggling with something yourself. There is hope available for you today. And there's hope available for your friend or for your loved one today. All we got to do is keep pointing them to the son who sets people free. Last but not least... The third thing that we got to know and believe, you can check it off in your sermon guide. Jesus really does cast out demons. He really does cast out demons. We saw in the video and we read in Mark chapter 5 
that Jesus dealt with demons. He took authority over demons. He cast them out. But some of us might think, Pastor Robert, of course, that was Jesus. But, you know, what about me? Well, there's good news. Notice Luke 10, 17 says this. When the 72 disciples of Jesus returned, Jesus had sent them out into the mission field. Jesus had sent them out to preach the gospel, to minister to the sick, and to cast out demons. And it says, when they returned, they joyfully reported to him, Lord, even the demons are subject to us or obey us when we use your name. Can you say amen? So what does that mean? Not only does Jesus have authority and power over demons, but as a disciple, he has authorized you and he has authorized me to take authority and exercise the power of Jesus' name, his word, and the Holy Spirit over any and every outside interference that we might be up against when it comes to demons. Amen? Mark 16, 17, Jesus said, In my name... They will cast out demons. That's probably not in your notes. Not sure. Mark 16, 17. Okay, so what did we cover today? Just real quickly. Demons are real. Demons really do enter people. And Jesus really does cast out demons. Amen. Stand to your feet so we can pray before we leave. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you that you have filled us with the Holy Spirit and you have set us free from reign and rule of demons or demonic powers. So we stand in that authority today. Father, we thank you that you've not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to step in deeper with Jesus, to step in deeper into the Word, to step in deeper into the things of the Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you're shaping us and you're molding us. You're helping us to live in freedom. You're helping us to apply the truth of the Word. And not only that, Holy Spirit, you're giving us divine connection to point other people to the Son who sets people free. We thank you for our freedom today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.